to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. Do you struggle to know what to say to someone when they've lost a loved one? Do you avoid saying anything to someone if they're going through a hard time because you're afraid that you're going to say the wrong thing? Do you struggle to know what to do to help someone when they're going through a tough time? If you answered yes to any of those questions, today's episode is for you. It's really hard to know what to say to someone who's going through a tough time. And there are plenty of situations where it gets pretty complicated and it feels awkward. Like, should you acknowledge a coworker who's going through a divorce? Should you say anything if you learned a friend had a miscarriage, even though they never announced their pregnancy? If you've avoided someone for a while because you weren't sure what to say to them, is it okay to reach out later? The way we respond to other people's pain affects our relationships. It also affects how we view ourselves. You might be really hard on yourself because you didn't show enough kindness. Or you might get down on yourself for not checking in with someone often enough but it's tough to know what to do, how to act, and what to say to someone. Even though I'm a therapist and an author, I still find it's tough to find helpful words for someone who's going through a tough time. Here's an example. I live in South Florida where some people were just hit hard by a hurricane. If someone's home was flooded, am I better off saying, I'm sorry that that happened to you? Or should I say, well, I'm thankful that you're all okay? Well, there isn't a one-size-fits-all answer to every situation. But knowing how to respond to someone else's pain is a skill that we can all learn. Here to help us figure out what to say to someone who's going through a hard time and what not to say is empathy expert Dr. Kelsey Crow. She heads Empathy Bootcamp, a company that trains people in how to be empathetic. She's also a psychotherapist and the author of an amazing book called There Is No Good Card for This. In it, she explains how we can respond to other people with kindness and empathy when they've lost a loved one, when they're going through a divorce, or they've encountered any kind of hardship. Some of the things she talks about today are how to decide when to say something and when not to, the go-to phrase you can use in almost any situation, and the things you can do for someone when there just aren't any words that seem to fit. Make sure to stick around for the therapist's take. It's the part of the episode where I'll give you my take on Kelsey's mental strength building strategies, and I'll share how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Dr. Kelsey Crow on what to say to someone who's going through a hard time. Kelsey Crow, welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to be here, Amy. Well, I'm excited to talk to you because I reference your book often. And even though I'm a therapist and I'm an author, like you'd think I'd be good with words or I'd know what to say to somebody. But that's often what I say to somebody is like, hey, you'd think I'd know what to say right now, but sometimes there are no words. And so that's why I appreciate your book. You wrote this book called There Is No Good Card for This, What to Say and Do When Life is Scary, Awful, and Unfair to People You Love. And then ironically, your co-author, Emily McDowell, is actually a greeting card writer, right? Yes, yes, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So she's amazing. But you're right. There are so many times in life when a card that says, gee, I'm thinking of you, just doesn't feel enough. And we often don't know what to say to people when they're going through tough times. 
So I'm glad that you wrote a book to give us a guide. What do you find are some of the biggest struggles we have when it comes to knowing? What do you say to somebody who's lost a loved one? What do you say to somebody when they're going through a tough time without sounding condescending or uncaring? Yeah, I think one of the hardest parts about giving condolences is thinking there's some perfect thing to say Um, and that we just need to find it and we can't find it. So maybe we shouldn't try Um, or just leave it to Hallmark because what could I say? Uh, So I think just believing that somebody's expecting these perfect words from us is the hardest, biggest hurdle. Uh, And also some people really are not good card writers. So there may be, as I point out in my book, other things that they can do to show that they care and they notice what's going on. Um, But I do think believing that there's some perfect gesture or some perfect phrase out there is the big obstacle. Right. And it always feels different depending on like your relationship with the person. Absolutely. You know, if I'm writing a card to my best friend, I don't want to just say thoughts are with you. We're sorry. Yeah. (laughs) That doesn't feel right. But again, but if it's somebody, an acquaintance, I'm not going to write this really heartfelt handwritten letter either. So in figuring out what's your relationship with the person, should we factor that in? Absolutely. And I think that, well, you know, it's funny because when I first conceived of the book, I did so because I had a hard time knowing what to say to people. And I thought, surely other people have this problem. So I did a lot of interview research and open-ended survey research And I thought I could come up with some kind of perfect algorithm for this is what you say, you know, to this type of person. Just plug and play. Straight, you know, colleague this, neighbor this, somebody you've known for 10 years this, somebody you've just, you know, met a month ago this. Uh, And there's actually no precise formula. However, um, I think what can really help you when thinking about what to say to somebody in a card. Say it's somebody who you just met and you had lunch with them for the first time, a colleague. This is where it's often very tricky. Um, And then something tragic happens to them and you don't actually have a lot of data or a lot of relationship to tap into. If you know that person had said something about this person, say it was a loss of a husband or loss of a child or of a parent, just saying, I heard you speak about him and I could tell that you had a very special relationship. Or I don't know about the relationship you have, but loss is so hard and I'm, you know, so very sorry. Being as upfront as you can be about what you do know and don't know. But if there is something that you know, even if you don't know the person that well, but there's something you know about the person who died um, or the disease that killed them, if it's a disease, you know, whether it's suicide or cancer or whatever, you know, that that's an awful, awful disease phenomenon. And I'm so sorry for the struggle you had. Um and that actually can go to anybody, somebody you just met, to somebody who you've known for a really long time. And obviously, if it's a good friend, you're going to be doing a lot more than writing a card anyway. You may not even ever get around to writing a card. Right, right. If you show up in person and you're doing things. Yeah, you're texting the all the time and you're, you know, yeah. I had my own experience um, and being on the receiving end of a lot of this, as I know you did, right? You had cancer. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure people, that's another one of those times. It's not always just loss of a loved one, but sometimes when somebody has an illness, like, do you say anything? Yeah, you know, and it totally. Sound like, 
yeah. gee, this is awful. I'm so sorry, but you also don't. And when you're like, bald, and it's like, um, do I pretend I don't notice what's going on here? <laughs> bald from chemo. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do if somebody's never mentioned something to you, but it's obvious? Mm-hmm. Should you bring it up or should you not? I think it just depends on the relationship and your comfort level with it. Definitely with something very obvious, you know, if you've had like a physical accident and you, you know, or you are going through chemo, um, there's just physical signs and somebody sees you and they didn't, weren't told, but it's obvious. They can say, oh, you know, you're obviously going through something really hard right now. How is it going for you now? (laughs) Because... I might be a stage in my treatment where actually I'm feeling really hopeful about it and I feel so grateful that I have it. Somebody else might feel about their treatment now that it sucks and it's so much worse than they ever thought it would be. Um, So asking, instead of just saying, I'm so sorry, you could say, how's it going for you now? And that emphasis on now, um, for somebody you haven't seen in in a long time or somebody who's situation you didn't know about and you're just encountering it spontaneously. Um, How are you doing with it now is a way of uh, keeping the conversation super contained. (laughs) Um, And they can give you a pretty short answer or they can elaborate. I like that. And just that extra word now, because when you say, hey, how have you been? Well, Well, (laughs) you know, and also you can feel like, yeah. So especially like say somebody, you've lost somebody. At some points, you actually feel better than you did before. And when someone asks you, how are you doing? You don't want to say, I feel feel good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) But you actually feel glad to be feeling good today, you know? So how are you doing with it now? Gives you a chance to say, you know, now I'm doing okay. It was hard at first and I'm doing okay now. Or... I didn't know that it would hit me so hard. And it's actually worse now than it was two months ago. Um, Doesn't mean someone has to give an authentic response, but it will more likely bring one out. And what about how careful should we be about where we are? You run into somebody in the grocery store. Is it okay to bring that up? Totally. Yeah. That was one of my biggest fears uh, when approaching this book is, well, when's the right time? You know, you're seeing somebody at pickup with their kid, you're in the grocery store, uh, do you chase them down? You're in a meeting and then the meeting leaves, (laughs) everyone leaves and you don't know whether to go grab the person or not. Anywhere, it's fine. Um, You know, in some like 10, 15% of cases, let's say, just like, you know, spitball estimate, people are being asked too much in the grocery store or at work. But in the majority of cases from my research and from what I've read, people have not been asked enough. And better to have the problem of too much care than too little. Um, But the big thing is when you ask in those situations, you're not doing it to check it off a list. Like, I know I should ask. um, Because then it's it's not an authentic encounter And then that puts the other person on the spot. Um, But if you genuinely want to know, and you can genuinely want to know and expect just a two-sentence exchange about it. (laughs) 
And there's a fear sometimes of saying the wrong thing, so then we don't say anything at all, right? I think you're totally right about that. Absolutely. And I have a great, um, we have these, uh, I say we, I have a training team that works with me, these empathy bootcamp workshops, and we have an online piece, and we have this audio of an interview I did. She's a social work professor talking about a colleague whose wife died of cancer, and she's standing in the line of the coffee, you know, vending machine, not knowing whether to say anything. <laughs> and she's like, and I didn't know if I would bring it up, if it would make him feel worse. You know, he maybe he wasn't thinking about it. Uh, all the things that come up. And so she didn't say anything. And then she wrote him an email later and she said, you know, I just want to say, I'm sorry. And he wrote back and he said, thank you so much. And she was so surprised by his appreciation and she herself had gone through cancer. <laughs> uh, she's, a, again, a social work professor. Like all of us, whether we've been through hard times or not, or that particular hard time, whether we have professional training or feel like we should have professional training, we actually all feel, as your point, very awkward in these situations. So the less stress we put on ourselves, like I've said, to say or do the right thing or to have the perfect moment right? Oh, I'm sure at some point she and I are going to wind up over dinner with candlelight with an opportunity for me to ask how she really feels, you know? Right. It's not going to happen. I was 23. I was working as a therapist when my mom passed away and I took a week off from work. And I remember when I went back to the office, you know, some people said something, some people didn't, some people had given me a card. And two days after I had gotten back to work, I got a phone call from my sister that my dad's house was on fire. So I left work early that day um, to go see uh, what was going on. And it didn't burn flat, but it, a lot of stuff was destroyed. But I went back to work the next day and I ran into one of my coworkers in the photocopy room and he said, I just don't know what to say to you. <laughs> and that was like the nicest yes. thing I think anybody could have said was to just acknowledge it yeah. and then say, and I don't know what to say. That's okay. I don't yeah. know what to say either. Isn't it so much better than something that suggests I can fix it for you or right. you'll be over this soon or hard times come in threes or whatever kind of awful platitude, just the humility that it's so overwhelming that you're in an overwhelming situation and I'm overwhelmed with you. Like, and I'm so, that's, that is an incredible thing to have happened to you. Yeah. Well, then when I was 26, my husband died of a heart attack and that's what I got from a lot of people was those sorts of comments like, you're young, you'll get remarried. That was not what I wanted to hear, although they were trying to be hopeful and trying to say positive things or everything happens for a reason. We yeah. say those things, right? Because it makes us feel a little bit better or we want to be hopeful to somebody else. But those things often fall short, right? Yeah, I call them non-listening styles. <laughs> so the eternal optimist is the person who says there are other fish in the sea you're, you're going to be fine. Um, the sage is the one who is so wise with, um, you know, everything happens for a reason. They offer these platitudes. And if you don't know what to say, very likely your best bet is to say very little and ask, how are you doing with it today? Or I don't know what to say. I wish I did. How do we, when is it appropriate to be hopeful? So when somebody mm. says, you know, gee, I just got turned down for this job interview and um, I'm in a tough place. She's 
you want to say to them, oh, you'll get a job eventually or the next one will work out. But when does that cross that line into this sort of toxic positivity that backfires? Totally. And actually, I mean, there's a lot in the grief field among philosophers that kind of talk about the role of hope in getting through um, difficult times. And of course, in the more general conversation about toxic positivity. Um, And I have always, I'm a New Yorker and a Sagittarius, so I've always leaned towards being a pessimist. So when someone would be positive with me, I just want to strangle them and be like, you know. Um, So what is that fine line? If someone loses their job and you say, you're going to find another job, no problem. It's a little like, well, how do you know that? Like, how do you friggin' know? If, however, you say, you know, you've done some of the best work I've ever seen in this area. You will be found for that. That is speaking to somebody's strengths uh, and why they will be hired again. Um, But uh, also, for example, um, if you really care, just offer them a LinkedIn uh, connection. Uh, Offer to introduce them to a couple of people. Do something that makes somebody feel worthwhile because losing your job is such a identity crisis and it can make you feel very ashamed. So people who want to associate with you when you are feeling like a failure and people who want to lift you up through action, <laughs> like introductions, like LinkedIn posts, if you find jobs, job leads, what you can say instead of, I thought you might want to apply for this is maybe you know somebody who would be interested. Oh, Nice light touch, you know? Right. Um, And uh, otherwise, speaking to someone's strengths. So if somebody even says, I don't think I can go through with this anymore. You know, when I was in chemo, I was was not running marathons on chemo. (laughs) Um, And I really didn't know if I could go through with it. And I had one person, this was my husband, and he said, I know this is so hard. So it's not pretending that it's not hard. I know this is so hard. I see how you're suffering. And I know that you gave birth to Georgia, our daughter. And I know that you can do this. Um, basing it on, your, on that person's reality, not just some platitude. I like that because sometimes we want to give people hope by telling them a story of somebody else, right? Mm. So we'll say... Like you, and you mentioned that's the reference you give in your book. If I say, oh, you're going through chemo. I know somebody that ran a marathon on chemo. It's not mm-hmm. that bad. Or people that were able to continue working and never got sick once. What does that do to you when, when you're struggling? Yeah. You know, it's so funny because, again, as the pessimist. So in my, I used, I was always the one for the non-listening style that would say, uh, that was the doomsayer. And I would just say like, oh no, you know? <laughs> I know somebody who died of cancer. You know, like I was that person and I thought I was like commiserating with them on how bad it is. But actually, people don't want to hear worst case scenarios, which I I just had to let the research speak, the data speak, right? So what do people want to hear? They do want to hear hope, but it has to be founded in something real, not like a TV show, you know? Um, But if you know somebody who has gone through something, so I tend to couch things like this. This is really sucky. I obviously don't know a lot about it, 
I feel terrible that this has happened for you, or I'm so sorry this has happened to you. If it's helpful, I do know somebody who's 20 years with lung cancer and lives down my block, if you ever want to connect, you know? Uh, IVF treatment. Uh, You keep trying and trying, um, and you can feel like a dodo bird for continuing to try and put all that money into it. Am I just pissing it all away? Um, And hearing stories of hope, like, I know it's really hard to make these decisions. I could, you know, understand going either way. I do know somebody who made it on their fourth try. And that is my hope for you. Not you will be able to do it because I know someone who did it. But I have hope for you because I know somebody for whom this worked, Um, but no guarantees that it will work. Nothing to dismiss the anxiety and the fear that that person has, because it really may not work out. That's true. And when we just act like we know it, like, oh, it's definitely all going to work out. Yeah. It's like, are you God? No. Right. (laughs) And then when should we share, like, if we have a similar experience versus not? So if somebody's grandfather died, should you say, hey, I lost my grandfather too? Or do you keep that to yourself? Um, I remember, like, when I lost my husband, I was 26, but sometimes somebody who was 75 would be like, I know what you're going through. I lost my spouse last year. I remember raising an eyebrow like, well, it's not exactly the same. And I also got a card from somebody with this really long letter about grief and loss and how they could totally relate. They had lost a puppy. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, no, actually, I don't think we are on the same page. And so sometimes hearing those stories wasn't helpful. But then when I would meet somebody that I really thought was going through something similar or could relate to my experience, then it did feel okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's two kind of reasons to share. One is to help someone not feel ashamed. Yep. So, you know, this happened to me too. And uh, especially with things like failure, that you feel like failure, you know. Um, And miscarriage is an interesting one because Mm. people do feel a sense of failure when they've miscarried even, you know. Um, And then the other reason to share. Well, and so with that shame, if somebody's been grieving for a long time and they feel like they should be over it already, it shouldn't be bothering me so much. I shouldn't be thinking about this. I should be moving on already. Um, So to help somebody not feel shame and say, I've been there, I know you're not going to be moving on right now. You don't have to be moving on for me. Um, I've had a miscarriage I know um, it, how hard it can be. But here's the, um, but sometimes people share because they think they're doing that and then they wind up, wow, this feels so good to talk about it. And they monopolize the conversation and they wind up actually comparing their situation to yours. Like, and then it really doesn't work. Whether because their situation was worse <laughs> or because it feels very trivial in comparison to yours. So I think oftentimes, if you don't sense a thing of shame around it and somebody's just going through it, someone can sense that you feel really, you feel for them. When they, when they hear you say, I'm so sorry, when you ask certain questions that show that you've been there, like, how are you managing the paperwork? Um. How was the, you know, what was the funeral like for you? Um, that shows that you, you, you get it. 
Um, And also, you actually, you don't get many people asking you those kind of questions. So even if somebody doesn't know you very well, but they like you, you can ask that because you're like, wow, thanks. Yeah. The funeral, it amazed me or yeah, kind of disappointed me, (laughs) whatever. Um, So I think that being able to suggest that you've been in a similar experience with somebody else without necessarily sharing what your experience was um, can be the safe way to go unless a person seems to feel some shame. And then I think you can share, you know, I went through that too. And then here's the trick. I went through that too. How are you doing with it? Boom. Just be mindful. Just in your mind, flip it. Because they're going to be like, oh, you did? What happened? And then you'll wind up talking, talking, talking. So just say, I'll share with you another time. I just, I'm just telling, letting you know, but how are you doing with it? I want to know from you. I like that. That's a good one because you're right. Otherwise, it can often just become more about the other person sharing their story. It totally happens. And then you, you know. Something else you talk a lot about in your book is small gestures. Mm. And we often say things like, well, let me know if you need anything. And then the person doesn't get back to us. And so then we think, well, I guess they didn't need anything. Yeah. Or we don't know what they need or we send a card and then we don't do anything else. But you talk a lot about how sometimes just really small gestures can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. You've really read my book. (laughs) Yes, as I told you, for my own purposes. <laughs> yeah, that one really blew me away when I was doing the research. Um, because again, I guess I was looking for like these perfect gestures, these grand gestures that I just was not seeing. And when I asked people in an open-ended survey format, what, you know, what did somebody do that made a difference? So often they would write things like they texted me, called me on the anniversary date, um, sent me flowers. Um, uh, and then if it was somebody who you hadn't heard from, from a, in a long time, and I'm sure you experienced this, or I hope you did, but maybe you didn't because you were so young <laughs> um, when your husband died. Somebody who knew you from a long time ago reaching out and saying, I heard this happen and I'm just so sorry. Um, through an email, doesn't even have to be a card. Um, that it's and in my workshops and these empathy boot camps that we do, we have something called a gesture wall, where one of the exercises, say thirty people are in a room, that people do is they write down on a card in response to questions: what's something a neighbor did, what's something a colleague did, what's something a stranger did, um, what's something that an old friend did for you in your difficult time. And people can answer all of them or one or two of them. And then you put them up on a wall and you have this huge wall of gestures. And I feel like, honestly, that gesture wall, we call it, does all the work for me. Because you scan all these gestures and you're like, holy cow. I have almost all of these tools in my toolbox and I never even knew it. I didn't even know they were tools. And you've put those gestures up. So you believe it, you know, like you get it. You're like, yeah, actually, that is all it took. Um, And here's something that I don't have in the book. um, And if it's too long-winded, you can edit this. I know you can. So, (laughs) But Mm -hmm. also, a lot of times, it's the timing. 
And you can't account for that. So I think a lot of gestures came my way in my various hard times that I didn't fully notice. But then other gestures, like somebody in my hiking group who I just met left me food on my doorstep. I really remember that. Someone brought over a coconut, which felt really novel and different when I was in my home for eight months um, and brought a machete and did this. And, you know, I didn't, I was like the first time I'd seen him in two years. Um, he was my husband's friend. Uh, these are, you know, and yet so many other gestures I think came my way and subliminally helped me feel supported. But certain ones just stand out and we can't control for that. So a really important thing when we do these small gestures is to not expect a thank you note. Mm. Uh, because they really likely appreciate it but they can't always thank you. Actually, most of the time they can't thank you. Uh, and you just have to trust that it will land. And that to try is better than to not try. And what else can you do? And you can't control for the timing. I think that's all absolutely true. I remember in my after my loss of my husband, my brother-in-law was like, I'm going to clean your house. And he like scrubbed every inch and corner of my entire house. And I think part of it was because he really just wasn't comfortable sitting around and crying. Talking so about it, like, right. I'm going to get up and go do something for you. I didn't send him a thank you note. I've probably still never really said thank you to him to this day, but that was a huge help for me. In that moment, I was not going to clean my house for probably a really long time. Or I had people that, that brought food, people that thought of me weeks later, you know, after yeah. all of the other people go away when somebody calls you and it's been three weeks and they still say, I'm thinking of you. That can be make a huge difference. To all the procrastinators that are listening to this, right, podcast or to those who've been like fretting and not reaching out because they didn't know what to do or say, in this case, you could reach out, like, don't worry. Don't worry if you're reaching out months later, a year later, like, and just say, you know, I know you lost your husband last year. How are you doing with it now? If if this is somebody who for some reason actually cares, don't ask if you don't care. Because there's so many people in our lives that we come across that have problems. <laughs> so just be there for them. But if you don't care, leave it alone because then it just seems like curiosity and not like concern. And what about those cases where maybe we didn't know what to say, so we said nothing, and then some time goes by and you feel guilty because you didn't do anything or say anything, and then you're like, oh, and now you feel even more awkward. What should you do in those situations? Maybe you did care, but you just didn't take action yeah. in the moment. All, don't, don't elaborate on it. Um, just say, I wish I had reached out sooner. It's on my mind all the time. I've been thinking about you. No excuses, no like my kid, you know, oh my God, how often did I hear this? I'm so sorry I didn't bridge traffic. I'm sorry I couldn't visit you in the, you know, during chemo. I'm, you know, like you hear these like excuses other than I was afraid or I didn't know what to say. Um, because that's really what it is. And just say that. And that humility of, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing either. Thank you for that. Thank you for not phoning it in with some bullshit excuse. Um, so, and then keeping it brief. Sometimes we may like elaborate. I thought I would do this, but I didn't. Then I thought I would do that or da, da, da. just keep it brief and then put it back onto the other person. But you've been on my mind. I've wondered how it's been for you to be back at work or if you've even talked with his parents or I remember something 
about, you know, John that, you know, has always stayed with me and it was this. So then just keep it focused on the other person. I like that. When something's awkward, just acknowledge it. And I think when we acknowledge something beforehand too, potentially awkward. So I'll tell you something that my boss Mm. did. She called me before my husband's funeral and said, some of us would like to attend, but we don't know if that would be weird for you for a bunch of your coworkers to show up. Would you like us there or not? And I so appreciated it. And so, which I said, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be strange that my dad is now going to meet my boss and vice versa, but this is a strange time in my life. And at that moment I said, yeah, please do come. And they did. And I, but I appreciated that she called me first and asked me that question. Yeah, that is a great idea. I love that. That just never, and then if you can't ask, always go to the funeral. <laughs> you know, if you, but um, but if you can, that's a great idea. Yeah. And you could preface that with, you may have a lot going on right now, so no need to respond, you know, and we'll figure it out. Um, so... I like that idea too, because sometimes people will say like, well, I called you three times and you didn't call back. It's the worst. I know. (laughs) But of course, these times feel so high stakes. And so that's why people want to know, you know, did you get my message? Did you, do you know that I care? Do you know I'm here for you? Um, We feel anxious for the other person uh, and are afraid too that we're messing it up. But doesn't mean we have to listen to that anxiety. So um, we may feel that anxiousness that they haven't written back. We may feel worried that we didn't get a thank you note, Um, but don't. Reach out and give absolutely all permission to not write back, not respond back, um, and say, and I'll check in on you, you know, in another week or two. And what if you have put your foot in your mouth? What if a week later you realize, oh, geez, that thing I said to that person, or I didn't know the whole story, or I said something that maybe came across wrong? Should you go back and apologize? Do you just let it go? Do you bring it up or not? I would say it if you can. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually, in a very different context, but I was teaching a class, a social work class, and my class was pretty frustrated with one area of content that I was teaching. And I was just getting it in little comments. And I kind of wanted to pretend that that frustration wasn't happening or that this awkwardness wasn't happening. And I said, instead, I'm sorry, I think I failed you. Uh, I didn't think of, I didn't think of this. And that built so much trust with the class. It just built so much trust. Um, And so I know that when someone doesn't hold themselves accountable it can be hard to trust them. So by holding yourself accountable and saying, I suck, I'm sorry, or I love how you say, I didn't know the whole story, or I, I ran to conclusions, or, you know, I don't know if what I said was very helpful to you. Um, and, and not going into, I meant to do this, and I meant to do that, blah, 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 just like a few words. Um, and most often people will gain respect for you for trying to be accountable and make sure that they're feeling okay. I think so too. So before you go, I would love to just I love talking through. with you, Amy. Don't let me go. It's fun. It's <laughs> fun because I get all of these ideas. I just want to run through some things. So, so potential situations. Can you just give us like an example? I know there's no right answer you would give to, to say, but can you just give us an example of what you might say in these situations? Sure. Uh, let's say you discover you have a friend whose spouse has cancer. What mm-hmm. might you say to your friend? Mm. 
I'm so sorry. This sucks. How are you doing with it? And that part's really important because some people actually can feel optimistic about a diagnosis. Um, whereas I would immediately go to the worst. Um, so I, I might before just say, that sucks. I'm so sorry. That's You must be so afraid and load all these negative things. So I would just say, I'm so sorry. You could say that sucks because that's what you think. How are you doing with it? What if you learn one of your coworkers is going through a divorce, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they haven't said it to you directly? If they haven't said it to you directly and you are not friends with them, I wouldn't bring it up. Um, people can feel very sensitive about divorces uh, because it does bring up a sense of personal failure um, and the boundaries can be mixed. However, if somebody, if it's somebody who you like and know, um, and eventually you would hear about it, I would say something. I would say, you know, hey, I hear you're going through divorce. It could feel real, you know, I don't know how you're feeling about it. Because for some people, divorce is like great news. Um, and so, but just know uh, it can be a lot of work sometimes. So if I can help you at all with stuff at the office, let me know. Because it's true. Divorce can be very time-consuming and very distracting. Yes. Okay, one more. Let's say your neighbors has a parent who's who passed away. Mm, I go to the neighbor. One neighbor, I didn't even know um, her name, but she always waved at me when I would walk the dog and we would talk about the weather. So I came by and brought flowers to her house. And um, I just said I was sorry. Um, you could just leave the flowers without even saying anything if you wanted to, you know, if you're uncomfortable with those situations. I love it. Well, thank you for those tips and strategies and the assurance that there isn't a right thing to say, but Mm -hmm. that we can develop empathy and practice uh, using wise words that might offer somebody some comfort, even if it, we don't offer them something that promises their future is going to be bright. We can just at least offer them our faith that they're going to get through whatever it is they're going through. Just by offering our presence and our acknowledgement and not running away um, is sometimes the most that we can do and we should do it. Kelsey Crow, thank you so much for being on the Very Well Mind podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, Amy. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Me too. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I'll break down Kelsey's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of my favorite strategies that Kelsey shared. Number one, ask, how is it going for you now? I love that Kelsey suggested this question. It can apply to almost every situation, and it doesn't require you to make an assumption about how the other person is doing. After all, it's not up to you to decide whether they should be sad about what happened or just grateful to be alive. Asking this question also gives the other person an opportunity to talk if they want to without prying. If they say they're fine or they turn the subject back to you, it might mean they're not interested in sharing their feelings right now. But they might also welcome the opportunity to talk about what they're going through, and they might be relieved that you're interested in listening. Number two, acknowledge your experiences if there's likely shame involved. Kelsey says sharing about our experiences can be helpful if you think the other person might be ashamed of something. Briefly acknowledging that you too have struggled with a similar problem or experience might help the other person feel more comfortable talking. 
So you might say something like, I remember feeling discouraged when I got fired. Or I remember how awful I felt when my home got foreclosed on. But be wary of sharing too much information about yourself and making it about you. Instead, try to stay focused on the other person and don't insist you know exactly what they're going through, even if you've experienced something similar. And number three, do something kind. You don't always need to offer just words to someone. Instead, you might offer to take action. I like that Kelsey talks about kind gestures and how those little things we might do can be really powerful to someone who's struggling. If you have a loved one who's going through a hard time, find something that you can do for them. Send a gift or perform a chore, run an errand, or just do something nice. Those little things you could do for someone might make a big difference. Not only might you relieve some of their stress right now, but they might remember those things down the road too when they're looking back on what helped them get through a tough time. And I like that Kelsey said, don't expect a response or a thank you note or anything like that. If they don't respond, it doesn't mean they didn't appreciate it. Instead, they might just be too overwhelmed to take any action in that moment. So those are three of Kelsey's strategies that I highly recommend. Ask, how is this going for you now? Acknowledge your experience if you suspect the other person might be ashamed. And do something kind for people who are going through a tough time. If you want more of Kelsey's tips, check out her book. It's called There Is No Good Card For This. And it's filled with actionable strategies that can help you decide what to say or do when someone you know is going through a tough time. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.